You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Adware in general, it, its purpose is to serve ads to the target. And in general, it will you know, persist on disk. It'll start up in some, some known way, usually by an auto run. That's Jay Novak. He's a threat hunter and tech lead at Booz Allen Hamilton's Dark Labs Advanced Threat Hunt Team. The research he's discussing today is called Advanced Persistent Adware, Analysis of Nation-State-Level Tactics. It's generally considered pretty unsophisticated. You know, when you think about the profit margin that, you know, an adware provider is going to get, you know, they're not going to be generating uh, a ton of revenue unless it's a very widespread operation. And if it's a company that is creating this this piece of adware or some organization that's creating this piece of adware, they're not going to spend a lot of time developing it or utilizing, you know, sophisticated techniques to help it hide. So it's usually pretty easy to detect Uh, pretty easy to find and relatively unsophisticated. And and so the purpose of -of run-of-the-mill adware is to inject an ad in a, I guess, a surreptitious way and unintentionally onto your system uh, uh, in sort of a sneaky way, and that's why it's considered malware? 
Yeah, that's right. So your sort of run-of-the-mill adware will um, be an executable that's on disk. And when it starts in its simplest form, it will just launch Internet Explorer and send Internet Explorer to some known page that will serve an ad to the user. So what you all discovered here is a bit more sophisticated than that. Take us through what you found. Yeah, so on the advanced threat hunt team, we've created uh, a set of sort of, you know, technology analytics and processes around um, a hypothesis driven approach to threat hunting. Um, And when we were looking at a particular network utilizing this process, we were going through a particular analytic that helps us find um, W script use on uh, on Windows systems. Hmm. One of our analysts saw a, uh, a W script executing uh, a piece of JavaScript code that on the command line had a bunch of obfuscated base64 encoded arguments. And um, these arguments pointed towards a further obfuscated uh, encrypted blob on disk or, or semi-encrypted blob on disk. And so um, essentially what he had found was a JavaScript program that had multiple arguments being passed into it that then was making a call out to the internet. And um, sort of your level of suspicion kind of alarm bells go off at this point. And we decided, you know, this is worth a further look, right? We didn't really know it was adware at the time, but it was definitely worth diving into. What we discovered from there through reverse engineering the JavaScript and by doing a little bit of digging in terms of how this thing was persisted, um, we sort of found two things. We we found that the program, the, this malware, was utilizing um, a technique that we generally only see in, in very sophisticated campaigns. The only thing that's persisted uh, to disk itself is something that's very lightweight, um, very, you know, mutable, so that signatures like, uh, you know, your, your normal IOCs don't necessarily... Uh, work because it can be changed so easily. And it's also lightweight and easy to develop and easy to change. So if some heuristic-based signature is developed for the thing that that is on disk, uh, you know, that can be changed really easily by the actor. So this this is um, kind of a level of sophistication in terms of its, uh, you know, operational security and protecting itself as a tool that, a, that an attacker could use definitely pointed us towards thinking that this was something that was maybe a little bit different than your normal, you know, run-of-the-mill sort of adware or commodity malware. Yeah, walk us through how this works. Take us through it step-by-step. Step. What did you discover? The first thing that we discovered, again, was this uh, was this JavaScript. And then after um, we discovered the JavaScript, we went back and looked at a different analytic that we run on all of our endpoints that we're trying to hunt in. And that analytic looks for kind of known persistence mechanisms. And we discovered a correlation between a scheduled task uh, that was actually running the W script and then the W script, um, you know, kicking off this, this JavaScript job. We actually didn't have access to go back to this particular endpoint um, and watch what was happening sort of dynamically in real time. So that's why we had to hand off the JavaScript to um, our malware reverse engineers. They took a look at the JavaScript and noticed immediately this uh, this callout uh, domain. Also, after deobfuscating pieces of the JavaScript, realized that what it was doing was calling out to this domain downloading an extra little bit of JavaScript that was encrypted using an algorithm that we haven't been able to to crack yet. 
but downloading a second piece of JavaScript and then allowing that to run only in memory. That callout domain was something that then we used to um, look in various other environments that we're currently hunting in. By using that domain, we were actually able to find um, you know, multiple instances of this, not only in the first place where we found it, but um, across a couple of other networks as well. From there, we did a lot of um, pivoting analysis, you know, sort of outside of the wire, so to speak, where um, we took that domain and looked at various enrichment sources. By sort of pivoting off of that domain, we found other domains that were related, and those other domains pointed to older versions of this malware that then um, we discovered was part of this overall adware campaign. So what is your sense of, of, of what uh, what the motivation is here? Do, do you have a, a feeling that um, they're targeting particular people? No, this, this doesn't seem to be particularly targeted. I think that that's one of the things that was kind of interesting to us. Commodity malware, and, and, and we sometimes fall into this trap too, but commodity malware, you know, adware, crimeware, um, you know, certain variants of crimeware, some of these things tend to get ignored um, during SOC operations because they're not targeted. But I, I think for us, one of the reasons why we wanted to make sure to put out this blog post is because it's, it's not just evidence of adware using advanced persistent, you know, um, techniques but it's evidence of, uh, of sort of a, a larger story that, you know, adversaries from adware developers all the way up to APTs, cyber criminals and everything in between, they're starting to use these techniques that we generally thought were, were only for a small piece of the adversaries out there. And since they're being used by more people, that means that organizations really have to take a hard look at how they're going to detect that type of behavior. And for us, it's taking a, a proactive approach to hunting to really go out there, find those unknown unknowns, bring them to light, and then create this iterative process around creating new analytics and, and really kind of keeping up with those adversaries and changing the way that that arms race happens between you know, us as defenders and them as attackers. What kind of information was this looking for specifically? Do you have a sense on that? This particular adware, the final stage executable that's downloaded and run, it appears to mostly be for the purpose of serving adware, mm-hmm. but not to be over speculative here, but the adware itself is something that's persisted on disk and does have the ability to execute arbitrary code. Um, so we don't have any evidence that anything more uh, you know, nefarious was going on here, but it's certainly not something that organizations should ignore um, just based on the fact that it could be running other, uh, other executables. So it could be as simple as serving up adware, but it's possible that it's in a sense a misdirection that could later do other things. Yeah, a misdirection or, um, you know, there's been there's been evidence in the past of um, sort of this, you know, malvertising campaigns where even companies that think that, you know, they're doing something, you know, relatively benign. And by companies, I I can mean these, you know, these organizations that are doing um, that are serving adware, they're doing something that's, you know, relatively benign. But really, there's some other entity that is utilizing this to, um, to do a more targeted attack. Take me through the process of hypothesis-driven behavioral-based analytics. That's something that you all used here. Um, Shed some light on that. How does that work? What we're attempting to do is use um, our ideas about how 
adversaries operate. So we have, you know, a lot of people on the team come from sort of a, a red team ben, pen testing background. Uh, and some people on the team come from the malware reverse engineering, and some people on our team come from sort of a, a cyber threat intelligence background. And so we we try to you know put on our different hats as we go through and come up with what we call hunt analytics. And we we put these hunt analytics in our hunt analytics library, and we try to take each one of them, uh, which we treat as sort of a hypothesis about how an adversary might act in a particular network. And um, out of each one of these analytics, what happens is we develop haystacks. And in these haystacks, uh, we can add all of our enrichment information, such as domain registration information or information from a third party like VirusTotal or RiskIQ. And all of that enrichment data comes together to help us quickly triage each haystack. A, a haystack might have 10 things that we have to triage, and another haystack might have a, a thousand things that need to be triaged. And, and so we try to bring in as much information as possible. And all of this really um, sort of starts with to the point about behavioral analysis. It all starts with getting data from uh, these organizations that we're trying to protect. And so that data can be network data that's generated by network sensors. Um, but really, we find uh, a lot of really, really good information when we start querying endpoint detection and response tools to get the both the telemetry and the forensic style data directly from the endpoints for our haystacking. So this isn't the sort of thing that uh, a standard antivirus tool would be likely to detect? So in this particular case for the for the advanced persistent adware, an AV could absolutely write a signature to detect this JavaScript blob that's on disk. And they could write a signature that, you know, maybe even triggers off of something as easy as the MD5 of that blob. Maybe it triggers off the fact that it's obfuscated JavaScript. There's there's certainly things that they could do. The problem is that the nature of this particular, you know, persistence mechanism of the way that is the stage two is being delivered is it's so changeable that an attacker could have a library of AVs installed on a computer somewhere. And as soon as, you know, their JavaScript blob gets detected, they could change it such that it would no longer be detected. So it's not necessarily that they're sort of doing something that's inherently not able to detect it, but they're certainly able to change things so quickly that an AV can't really keep up with the large volume of the different permutations of this type of malware. I see. So in terms of attribution, do you have any thoughts there? It's not really something that that we can comment on at this time. Um, you know, I think from from a little a attribution, which is maybe a little bit more important when you talk about attribution, you can say, you know, he or she did it. Uh, or you can talk about this is sort of a grouping of activity that's part of an overarching campaign. In terms of the grouping of activity that's part of an overarching campaign, this is adware that is that's very prevalent. If you follow the research in the blog, you probably can connect the dots and and find out more information about it. But it's it's certainly something that's out there and can be tied to this you know this campaign of adware for this specific uh, delivery mechanism. I see. So, in terms of advice for people to protect themselves against this, what do you suggest? For organizations that want to detect this type of threat, specifically to this particular sort of advanced persistent adware, I, I think that there are some very specific things that you can do. But more importantly, I think that for an organization that wants to 
detect advanced threats, it's going to take a little bit of, of introspection, right? You know, asking um, yourself as an organization, do you have the analytics that say, I want to look for all W script execution on all of my endpoints under my control? Uh, if the answer to that is yes, I, I have that idea. That's a hypothesis that I want to follow. Then you know the the next question is, do I actually have that data? How do I collect that data, and how do I query that data? And then um, finally, it's do I have the people and the processes in place to really go through those those haystacks? Because something like you know, give me every single time W script at exe is executed that's not necessarily going to be a haystack full of malicious things. The vast majority of that is going to be benign. So you really have to have uh, well-trained staff that understand when something meets the threshold for malicious behavior. Our thanks to Jay Novak from Booz Allen's Dark Labs Advanced Threat Hunt team. Their full report is called Advanced Persistent Adware, Analysis of Nation-State-Level Tactics, and you can find it on their website. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and Zero Trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.